Congratulations, LifeFlow, for being named in G2's Fall 2023 report as the leader in the financial analysis category. This accolade is a reflection of LifeFlow's commitment to excellence, outstanding performance, user-friendly experience, and being the preferred choice of accountants and bookkeepers. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LifeFlow, later in the episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. And here's the kicker. It's totally free. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. Oh, yeah, the cyber attacks in Vegas. Um, well, it, one happened last month and the other happened is like still ongoing, I think. So the one that's ongoing right now is MGM Grand. Well, just all the MGM properties have been suffering from this terrible cyber attack that is like people can't check into hotel rooms. They can't check out. Uh, there are people running around with clipboards, doing everything on paper. They can't pay out slot machine winnings. They have to do it manually. So they're walking around and paying out people's slot machines. Can't buy tickets. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome to the show. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we had some major technical difficulties getting started today, but we are through it. And we are happy to be with you because there's so much great news to share on this tax deadline day, September 15th. To all of you who are still grinding away, we are with you in spirit. I am actually responding to our tax preparer via email notifications as we record to make sure that I'm not the bottleneck. So I'm doing my part. And we're going to get that return filed today. Congratulations. But, uh, yes. Um, but David, I think we got to start with the voicemail you sent me today or yesterday. You got a voicemail from a celebrity. Well, we all get voicemails from ERC sales bros, right? Sometimes they call during the show. I have to put my phone on the floor so it doesn't you know, create a disruption when we're recording. But yes. I got one yesterday, yes, from a celebrity. And it's perfect timing because did you see the IRS just announced they're shutting down the program because of massive and rampant fraud? I know. So you sent me this voicemail and I thought, oh, this is the best ERC scam voicemail we've gotten yet. We were going to play it on the show. And then right afterward, we heard that the IRS is shutting down or pausing processing of ERC applications. Yeah. So finally, finally. Let me read. The, the IRS believes a substantial portion of the new claims from the aging program are ineligible and increasingly putting businesses at financial risk by being pressured and scammed by aggressive promoters and marketing. Yes. Not, not news to anybody who's been listening to this program or receiving those voicemails. I mean, like, it took them a long time to get around to this. Uh, but maybe ERC has finally jumped the shark. I think this voicemail kind of really sets the tone for where we're at with the employee retention credit. Let's give this a listen. Now I got to hit you with some real talk. All you business owners who held it down during the pandemic, I got a gem for you. You know, times were wild. And if you had employees, you might be sitting on a refund that's rightfully yours. But check this out. I got a hookup for you. 
It's called ERCEnroll.com, and they got the game on lock. Now, here's the kicker. These folks at ERCEnroll.com, they got connections like no other. They can have them funds in your hands quicker than you can roll up your favorite. Well, you know what I mean. We're talking just a couple weeks, and boom, you got that cash flowing back where it belongs. So if you're a business owner who's been through the thick of it, don't miss out on this golden opportunity. Slide on over to ERCEnroll.com, let them know Snoop Dogg sent you, and watch the magic happen. It's all about getting what's yours, baby. ERCEnroll.com, they're the real deal, and they got that fast track hookup. Y'all, Snoop Dogg's stamp of approval, baby. Peace out. So that can't possibly actually be Snoop Dogg, right? I don't well, think it is. But after we had the whole Matt Damon Bitcoin advertisement well, thing, I wouldn't put it past him. Well, you got the guy from Modern Family, the dad from Modern Family. He's in that one ad saying, if your accountant told you you're not eligible for ERC, they don't know what they're talking about. Go to whatever stupid ERC mill.com. That guy's pimping. Oh, okay. I missed yeah. that. I didn't see that. Oh, man. Well, so. <laughs> I mean, like that. It was that's just, just too unreal. Like it was like, it's like yeah. It, it just hopefully we're at peak ERC now. This yeah, it's all well. So, like we said, the IRS has frozen the ERC processing due to fraud fears. No shit, Sherlock. Right? Like, man, it's, it took them a long time to figure this out. Apparently, billions and billions of dollars have gone out the door. They've only initiated 250 criminal investigations involving nearly $3 billion in potential ERC claims so far. But we know that so far there have been billions and billions of dollars that have gone out the door. In 2021, the projection was it would cost the government $85 billion over a decade. That was up from an earlier estimate of, estimate of $55 billion. But on Thursday, the IRS said that it had already paid out $230 billion dollars billion with a b 230 billion in refunds associated with the tax credit and that it had a backlog of 600,000 claims 15% of the 3.6 million claims for the credit that the IRS has received since the program began were submitted in just the past 90 days and that's due to these ERC mills that are just pumping businesses through this program i mean it's really it's really kind of shocking what's happened with this program. So it went up from $55 billion estimate to they've now paid out $230 billion. Talk about cost overruns, right? Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, it, considering they've only investigated 250 and I probably get 250 calls a month, phone calls. Like, just start with those 250 companies. Yeah. Like, uh, well... Hey, thanks everyone who has joined us in our live stream. If you have any stories to share with us, comments, we love to hear from you. Uh, hope you're doing well on this Friday. And if you want to get notified when we go live, just subscribe to us on YouTube, search for The Accounting Podcast, and you can join us live and hang out. And John Oliver said, how many years will the IRS be able to investigate ERC indefinitely per the fraud? And Trinity said, wow, 15% in the last 90 days. Yeah, um, thank you for joining us, John and Trinity. Uh, I don't know what the what the statute of limitations is on this stuff. So like, there's this is the problem also with the PPP fraud, even though they're still working through all that and we see these massive criminal investigations happening and people going to jail, there's so many claims 
so many examples of it that they can't possibly, with the humans that they have, get through all of them. So, I mean, this is why the ERC mills have been able to do what they're doing, because they just know there's not going to be the enforcement. And you, you make your money. Some of these ERC mills have made a billion dollars in fees, like a billion in fees. And, you know, the, when you have a billion dollars, you can just leave the country and <laughs> and you're done, you know? like. So is this kind of like a similar, I mean, this is kind of where we're at with society. Obviously you have, you know, people are, you see these videos, people just walk into Home Depot and targets and they're just stealing stuff because there's just not enough police enforcement to actually capture criminals for yeah. shoplifting and do these it's things. It's kind of like that. This, yeah. It's, it's, a, they know nobody's ever going to bust them. So like, why not? Yeah. And <laughs> well, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's move on and uh, tackle a little bit of positive accounting news or maybe news isn't the right word. It's, it's, you know, one of the criticisms of our show is that we don't talk enough. Uh, we don't talk positively enough about the accounting profession. And I want to remind everyone, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of accounting. I love accounting. I was a musician who became a CPA and I love accounting. So even when I complain, you know, it's all comes from a good place, right? A place of love. Yes. But, uh, but I think we do need to do a better job of explaining to our young listeners in particular, why accounting is a great career. And I want to thank Hector Garcia for sending me this video. This is Mark Cuban on accounting and a few other people who are uh, really smart people talking about why accounting is important. With college, uh -huh. you went to IU, yep. right? Now you got a lot of people that uh, say, uh, forget about school, you know, they're drop idiots. out of school. They're they're idiots. So you think they're, they're idiots. idiots. Tell me why. Um, if you're going to have and run a business, if you don't understand accounting, you're already behind the eight ball. Can't you hire a guy that's, that knows how to But then they, they still have to communicate to you, right? I mean, there's people that don't understand the, the concept of, you know, the difference between profits and cash. You know, oh, your accountant might tell you, you're profitable, but your cash is going down. You know, not understanding um, the breakdown. And, and when you don't... Do you think you need college to learn that? Yeah, I think you do, right? Because it, it may not, for some people, look, if you're so self-motivated that you can take an online course in accounting and teach yourself everything, you're way ahead of the game anyways. But most people aren't. And I'm not saying you have to go to Indiana. I'm not saying go to an expensive school. I don't care if you go to a community college and take accounting and, and spend 99 bucks for the class. Just, you know, spending the money forces you to be more obligated to do it. Um, the most valuable thing. I learned here, but I learned a lot, but the most valuable was, was uh, accounting. There's That's Warren Buffett. There's nothing more important. I, uh, people ask me what they should take in business school, and, 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 uh, uh, or even if they don't go to business school, what they need to know before getting in business. And I tell them, you know, you have to, you have to understand accounting. It's the language. I mean, it, it would be, it's like being in a foreign country without knowing the language if you're in business and you don't understand accounting. So it, 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 you, you want to get as comfortable with that uh, as you are with the English language. What advice would you give to a young investor today? Well, you've got to understand accounting. Uh, you've got to, that's got to be like a language to you. And uh, so, yeah, you have to know what you're reading. I mean, and, and, and unless you know that language. Ray, tell Mr. Buffett what you plan to study when you enroll in community college later this year. And I'd like to get Mr. Buffett's reaction as to whether that sounds good to him or not. Um, well, I plan to cross major in econ and finance. You know, the two degrees are only a couple classes off of each other. And to get both is even better. And Trey, the one thing I'd recommend is you, you, you take all the accounting uh, courses that you can find. Uh, you know, accounting That's is the language of business, and and there's nothing like 
you know, getting it early and sort of getting it into your system. So whenever you get a chance to take an accounting course, uh, jump on it, uh, and it, it'll it just it'll make it'll make it so much easier, you know, for years and years to come in reading financial statements. Yet to get comfortable with it because it is a language all of its own, and and getting comfortable in a foreign language in effect takes a little a little experience, a little study early on, but it pays off big later on. So that was Mark Cuban, and then a couple of clips of Warren Buffett talking about why you should study as much accounting as you can. And who made this video? Do we know? Uh, it was like a clip that somebody put together on YouTube. I don't, I don't know who. This is the kind of stuff that. the AICPA should be doing. They should be making these hype clips and, and gathering up testimonials from a bunch of people and get yeah. Warren Buffett on the town hall. You know, the AICPA town halls. That would be great. I'd love that. That would be uh, huge. What so else is I new? Two, I have two feel-good stories as well. Okay. So one is, so you met your wife at college, right? I did, yeah. Okay, well, there was a couple in Denver. You know, they're at the University of Denver. Uh, they fell in love. They met in the accounting class 10 years ago. They fell in love, this bride and groom. And the way, the way it happened was apparently the groom's father happened to be an accounting professor at that university. And he wrote the textbook. And so she leaned over in class and said, hey, do you... Uh, can you give me some answers? You got access to the answer key. Well, and, and that's fine. People meet at college, they get, you know, and get married. But here's the kicker. Like, guess where they got married? Uh, they, they got married at Luca Pacioli's statue in Italy. No, they got married in room 300 at the University of Denver's Daniels College of Business. They got married in the accounting room. In the class, in the room in where the they- In the classroom. In the classroom where they took accounting. That's amazing. Yeah. What- where did you see this story? Who is this couple? What are their names? This is from WhenChachiWorld.com. I think it's a local Denver paper. The couple's names, we have uh, Lexa Kever and Trevor Baisley, B-A-Z-L-E-Y. Wow. And are they, I guess they are accountants now. Are they going to become accountants? Are they heading down the CPA pathway? Um, I'm not sure it even talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a picture of them in the rehearsal when they're actually in the classroom. Oh it's my gosh. Odd. Do you have that picture? Can we put that up uh, on the screen? Yeah, can I share this? Let's see. Share screen too. Oh my gosh. I would love to see it. Present. Scroll while while you get that maybe, up, maybe while, resize you, this. while you resize that, um, we got a uh, comment from Ade who said, John D. Rockefeller started out as a bookkeeper and Phil Knight started out as a CPA, two of the most successful businessmen ever. We don't speak much about this. Good point. Oh, I there's love this picture. Couple. Oh, there's in a happy the couple in the classroom getting married. And I have another college story that's a feel good. So Purdue University professors in 2019, they made a concerned effort to not let accountants flow to other disciplines at college, right? They other majors? Other majors, right? And so they went on this mission to shatter the stereotypical image. And so one part of that is they started doing tailgating at football games. So they buy 200 tickets to the games and they invite 200 accounting alumni and or 100 accounting alumni and 100 accounting students and they mingle and they do this at every game and they tell the uh, students to bring their resumes. And, but what's happened now, they've started to push up enrollment. They've pushed up enrollment in their Mac program. Like they've, so there's, people are making a dent. They're being, you have to do this in creative ways, right? You yeah. can't just, it's not the same path. So. Two good accounting stories here. <laughs> now, there's no videos of like keg stands or cool tailgating activities at the football games, but you know, if anybody has those, please send them our way. I love that. So, 
since you're speaking about education, I figure we should talk about the 150-hour requirement since uh, like it's basically a requirement on the show that we speak about it. You know what I mean, David? So uh, I got a survey from the AICPA, and I was so excited to see this email from Sue Coffey, Chief Executive Officer of Public Accounting. And the subject line was, Blake, are we focused on the right things? And it's inviting me to take a survey to find out like, if, if they are focused on the right things. Your voice matters. Are we going to do this together? Well, I already did it oh. because I didn't know how long it would take. And in the email, Sue Coffey talks about how talent is an issue, that they are convening the National Pipeline Advisory Group to develop an agile, data-driven national strategy to address talent issues. She talks about the Pipeline Acceleration Plan, the Experience, Learn, and Earn program. Would you help us? The call to action is, you know, spare 15 minutes to complete this confidential survey and help us continue serving you and the profession. And uh, so I did that. And unfortunately, there were no questions in the survey about any of this. There was no question about, like, do you support 150 hours or do you support an alternative pathway? Like, none of it. They didn't ask. And what a missed opportunity, a chance to actually ask the members what they think. Do they support 120 plus two years of experience? Do they support alternatives? Like, why doesn't the AICPA just ask the members what they want? So what questions were you asked? It was like, you know, it was it was like a research survey done by a third-party firm, and nothing was specific. It was all like very like, do you think the AICPA is on the right track with this stuff and their CPE and all that stuff, but nothing specific about these issues that were actually mentioned in the email. Like they didn't ask specifically about any of this. So so, so the email was like clickbait to get you to the survey. I guess so. I don't know. But I was very disappointed with that. I, I'm trying and, to imagine you doing this survey. Was it like, you know, then the next question is going to be the one. And then I was hoping. At the end. It was a long survey too. Like it was way too many questions. And, you know, it was... Yeah. It was like Qualtrics or something that did this survey. You know those uh, surveys you do yeah, where yeah. it's just like a million questions and it never seems to end? And you wonder like, why do they need to ask so many questions? Yeah. So I, I think all the societies should do this. I would love to see every single state society survey its members and say, you know, do you support the current set system or do you think we need a change? I think that's the first question, right? Is a change merited? And if you do support a change, what of these options, what would you support? and give them a bunch of options. And I think you'll find that, you know, based on the anecdotal evidence that we've heard, that the vast majority of CPAs support changing this. And if the leaders, the the chairs, the people on the boards of accountancy, like saw that data, then maybe they'd be motivated to change. But I'm not sure they want to see that data. I'm not sure they wanna know what the membership thinks. This episode of The Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. If you're really a busybody, your title would read CPB, a Certified Public Busybody. You're a CFO, a controller, a CPA, and yet you burn so much time on the busy work compiling reports, stuck in the land of CPB. Well, LiveFlow's mission is to get you out of there. 
It's the fastest way to connect your QuickBooks Online to Google Sheets. It's designed to eliminate your extra busy work by automating and scaling your client reporting with live hourly updates. Once you cross the border, some strange and wonderful things start to happen. You stop exporting reports from QBO. You no longer customize your sheets over and over again. Your central nervous system forgets what it feels like to deal with stale data and you enter a state of nirvana. For your one-way ticket out of CPB land and 20% off your first three months, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash liveflow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Welcome back to CPA land. All right, David, uh, what's next? I mean, we probably should talk about the, the. well, I had it in my bucket for top stories, but then we, we got distracted with Snoop Dogg and, and feel-good stories, but the two major outages that happened this week. Oh, yeah, the cyber attacks in Vegas. Um, well, it, one happened last month, and the other happened is like still ongoing, I think. Do you know if the, so, so the one that's ongoing right now is MGM Grand. Well, just all the MGM properties have been suffering from this terrible cyber attack that is like, People can't check into hotel rooms. They can't check out. Uh, there are people running around with clipboards, doing everything on paper. They can't pay out slot machine winnings. They have to do it manually. So they're walking around and paying out people's slot machines. Can't buy tickets. You know, like you can't they, use the ATMs because the ATMs there. People can't open their hotel room doors. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always thought. I I don't know. I think even you and I we've gone to Vegas plenty of time for conferences, and I think we've even had discussions about the IT infrastructure. It's kind of amazing how connected everything is there. So yeah. if somebody once it goes down, it goes down hard. I just went to their website before we recorded. You could actually get to the MGM Resorts website and book hotels now, but they were sending people to other third party sites to book hotels. Um, and now they had to issue a, uh, an 8K report that says with the SEC that this is probably going to be a material impact yeah. for them this week because it's a, I think they have $13 million in revenue a day. And then people are just leaving because nobody has actual cash to, pa- to pay for things. Um, yeah, the it's... crazy thing is the way they got hacked. Apparently, these hackers are claiming they found a third-party IT person on LinkedIn, and within 10 minutes, basically socially talked their way into getting whatever they needed that opened the doors. So it was find somebody on LinkedIn, and then they called the support desk, and I guess did they, they, must, they must, it's social engineering. They like per- impersonated this person yes, and probably. got their password reset and got into all the systems. And this is the one thing about Vegas that's fascinating is basically two companies control the whole strip right? It's MGM and Caesars or everything. So when MGM gets hacked, it's all connected. All these hotels, they, they look like they're different hotels, but they're really all the same hotel. All the systems are all yeah. connected, right? And, and Caesars apparently a month or so ago got hacked and they paid a, a ransom. I heard it was $30 million that they paid to, to not suffer the same fate as MGM. Might have been worth it. Yeah, uh, the, probably, the, right? In the cyber uh, security cyber hacking community, you know, because there's a lot of bragging that goes on when this happens because people aren't smart to just take the money and run like all the ERC people. <laughs> they brag about it. And then they have these abbreviations. So it's a ALF V, A-L-F, A-L-P-H-V has a reputation in the cybersecurity community as being, quote unquote, remarkably gifted at social engineering for initial access. Like they're, you know, giving them kudos for being gifted and socially uh, accessing these things. The other one that was out, I don't know if you heard, on Thursday afternoon, Square was out. 
So Square, you know, the little payment processor and the cash app were both out. And so small businesses couldn't take payments. What? So some small businesses lost eight to $10,000 that afternoon. Some of them just shut their doors. Some why were the they, why were they down? Like what did they get? Hacked there is with? no reasoning that has been disclosed yet on why they were down. Wow. So it's crazy to me that these companies can like have an outage like that and then not have an explanation like quickly. Well, so and not only that, they were criticizing uh, Square for not communicating it. So they, at first they weren't communicating that it was happening. And then some customers got an email, but um, most found out through Twitter. Hmm. Just, you know, there was a, around since noon Pacific time on Thursday, sellers have been in, unable to access accounts or process payments due to system outages with Square. And brick and mortar places were just done. Yeah. They can operate. Wow. So I, I think the bigger thing is, and the hotels had to do this. People had to, they were checking people in with clipboards to their rooms. Yeah. And like for you with your clients, like you, you probably should go through this exercise with your clients. Like how do you take money if your systems are down? Now, yes. Well, and have a backup process, have a backup processor, right? So every yes, business, exactly. if you, if your main processor is square, have another dongle, you know, at every location where you can, we have a backup processor. Yeah, you could have your accounting system be down for a day. Right. But you can't have not your like, payments. Your payment your your point of sale or payments. Yeah. You have mm. to have some and I remember when I worked retail at the mall back in the day, we'd have one day leading up to the busy season where we just only did manual the old credit card and right in hand receipts the whole day just to practice it in case because you couldn't have, you know, if it's the day before Christmas and terminals go down, you gotta still sell stuff, right? Well, back to feel good news, David. All right. Uh, I learned something today from Instagram. I learned that the Doberman Pinscher breed of dog was invented by a German tax collector named Louis Doberman. <laughs> Louis Doberman. He was a German tax collector who was seeking the perfect dog, muscular, daunting, loyal, to serve as his assistant as he collected taxes. It was created in the 1800s and then was refined and made slightly smaller and eventually gained clout as a working dog, therapy dog, war dog, and show dog. Uh, and this was via the Big Four accountant uh, on Instagram. So you can learn things from social media. And I guess not a tax preparer, a tax collector, but hey, there's that connection to taxes. I mean, you're speechless, this be David. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, should this be the, the mascot of the IRS? Like, would this be, could this be part of the image change? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, JP Morgan is going to offer online payroll services. Gusto, they chose Gusto to partner with to offer online payroll for Chase small business customers. It's going to put Gusto in front of, I mean, I don't know how many small businesses that Chase has. Like, it's going to be a lot. Hundreds of thousands, millions. They say, JP Morgan says that they have 5 million small business customers and more than 200,000 users of its payments solutions offering. So this is going to be available to those who are using their payments solution. So yep. not all 5 million, but the potential to reach all those 5 million, I guess, eventually. Yeah. And back to the, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say this is a big deal because Gusto serves 300,000 small and medium businesses right now. 300,000 is their current base, and this is going to give them access to 200,000. 
in the short term and then millions more in the longer term. It's so just speaking historically speaking, I remember when Intuit got Intuit payroll into all the Bank of Americas and, and had big press releases and, you know, PowerPoint slides and executives high fiving and all that. And I was on the payroll team. I don't think it ever moved the needle at all. Really? It's, because the reality it is. So Chase has how many small businesses? Um, they have 5 million, million small businesses okay. how and 200,000 customers on the do they have? 100 million? I mean, it's like, yeah, a lot. So what happens is in the in the shuffle of things, when you go to call in, nobody keeps track of the small business offerings, and then nobody keeps track of some oddball payroll app offering that they have as well. Like it gets so buried in the list of priorities and offerings that it gets forgotten about. Like it may be great, like you said, even a small b- b- bump could be huge for Gusto, but like keep it tempered, Gusto. Mm-hmm. That's all I'd have to say about that. Um, but speaking of like how Chase is getting into payroll, right, or mm-hmm. offering more small business stuff, I have two other examples of this, which is interesting. So American Express, I uh, saw in headline, this was um, in, a, in the chair sheet, how Amex is building a B2B ecosystem for SMBs. A B2B so, ecosystem for SMBs from Amex. Yeah. So they're starting to build a stack here. So you have Amex business cards, right? Then they had their cabbage acquisition. So they're doing small business loans, right? They have a... AP solution called American Express One, which is their bill pay product. And then they bought a company in, in January called Nipendo, N-I-P-E-N-D-O. And that's basically a uh, procure to pay process for accounts receivables and accounts payables. And so they're starting to build a suite of small business offerings and their stack. They also have a, because of Cabbage, they also offer a small business checking account that like they're starting to build a whole set of apps. But then the other story that was interesting that caught my eye this week is Walmart. And the, the, the reason it caught my eye is Walmart, ha- the, the headline said, Walmart business has a plan to boost SMB cash flow. So Walmart has spun up a um, business site called Walmart Business. And think about, you know, for our business, we could get all our employees and say, hey, just use this site to buy our paper and our coffee and anything we need supplies for our business. But they also have something called Walmart Business Plus, which is a more of a, a membership site and you get cash back and you get free shipping and that type of stuff and budget controls. But so that's the thing. Now they've added budget controls and they've added analytics and reporting. So you can see who's spending on what and how much and really replacing your uh, procurement department. Or if you don't have a procurement department, it gives you some control and it works online and in brick and mortar. But the fact that they're building reporting and analytics for small businesses, I find a little bit interesting. Mm. Right. So it's just something to keep an eye on um, as they, because Walmart's really trying to solve pains of small businesses, right? They're they're looking at small business. Small business has X pain. They don't have a procurement department. We're going to solve that. But then what's next? I, you know, I wonder how much of this is in response to Amazon going after small business, because I don't know if you've gotten these, David, but I get these emails, pitches for joining the Amazon small business program. All the time. You can sign up your Every business. time I make a purchase with our business card yeah. and my personal account, I get hit. Yeah. And it says you could have saved X percent if you had an Amazon business account. And it's so smart because most Amazon, most owners of businesses are probably Amazon Prime customers at this point. So I wonder how much of this is a response to that. Yeah. I want to go ahead. I was going to say, and, and, but Walmart also has a lot more relationships with small businesses now because they're, their e-commerce site, 
it's just like how Amazon can drop ship for small businesses. Uh, they can have small business resell people sell on Amazon, but you're a small business. Same type of things happening on the Walmart side. So their relationship with small businesses probably didn't even exist a decade ago, and now is completely growing. And they're like mm -hmm. you said, they're competing. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Forwardly. Are you tired of waiting for clients' payments to clear and being stuck with slow ACH transfers? Frustrated with paying high fees for credit cards? Stop being stuck with slow payments and say hello to the future of real-time payments with Forwardly, America's first instant business payment solution using FedNow. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly in their bank accounts, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. Best of all, Forwardly allows you to receive faster payments 24-7-365. With competitive processing fees, generous partner rewards, and no commitment required, Forwardly empowers you to build a modern practice with happier clients. If you're ready to liberate clients and yourself from expensive credit card fees, the limitations of bank hours, holidays, or weekends, and are ready to embrace the future of real-time payments with Forwardly and FedNow, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash Forwardly. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-O-R-W-A-R-D-L-Y. I want to uh, talk about AI because every week I see new and interesting applications of generative AI. Like Snoop. Like like the deep fake of Snoop that Snoop. we heard. I mean, I assume it's a deep fake. If it's not, then I mean, I don't know. It's got to be. Anyway, it could be. It could very well easily be. It's easy to do that now. And we're starting to see this happen with video. And this is where things are going to get scary for security because you're going to join a Zoom call and you're not necessarily going to know whether that person on the Zoom call is an AI avatar or somebody else whose face has been um, like changed by AI talking to you. So we're getting to the point where we can do real-time voice and image translation or, or modification. Um, now, there's scary applications of that, like impersonating people online. There's also really neat applications of that, such as translating from one language to another with the mouth movements changing also. And so I saw this video on TikTok of this example. It's not in real time yet. You have to, you know, send in the video and then it changes it and you can kind of tell it's a little blurry. Um, so, so but to pause and rewind. So I'm watching a foreign film and they've, they've dubbed English over it. Right. And it never really lines up to the lips. This AI will modify yeah, the video so it looks like they're speaking English. The actors will look like they are speaking English. Interesting. They, you'll hear the English and their mouths will line up. So here's an example of this. Uh, our our audio-only listeners will not be able to see the mouth, but you'll be able to hear the um, the, the voice changing, the language changing. Um, so I'm going to add this video in and I'll skip around a little bit. I just had one of those moments that happens sometimes in your life where you're just so mind blown at like the advancement of technology and how quickly it's moving. Um, that happened to me in November when ChatGPT came out and I got an output that I was like so impressed with. I ended up building seven Chrome extensions in seven days. We ended up building a product called Brancher.ai, which is about to hit 100,000 users. It really kind of has changed the trajectory of my career. And um, I think I just had another moment like that with a new announcement from a company called HeyGen. They just announced this mind-blowing technology called Video Translate. At the end of this clip, 
you're gonna hear my voice in Spanish and I didn't record that audio, right? So it's gonna clone my voice, it's gonna use deep fake technology to move my lips and then it's going to accurately translate the text. This is now available to you. You record it once, you record it in your original language and then you can translate it into the other languages with a single click. Acabo de tener uno de esos momentos en la vida en los que te quedas asombrado por el avance de la tecnología y su rápida evolución. Eso me pasó en noviembre cuando salió Chad. Isn't that amazing, David? Like, his lips look like he's speaking Spanish. Terminamos con Brancher AI, que está por alcanzar Realmente ha cambiado la trayectoria de mi carrera. Y creo que acabo de tener otro momento como ese con un nuevo anuncio de una empresa llamada Hagen. Acaban de anunciar esta tecnología alucinante llamada Video Translate. Suena muy básico. Sí, traduce tu voz. Isn't that incredible, David? It's just... Yeah, and in the, you usually, you know, you're looking for these artifacts or things that just tell you it's off, and that was pretty good. And I don't know Spanish, so I don't know how well it translated or how good the accent was. But I looked through the comments in TikTok and people were saying, hey, this is this is really good. That it has that, it has the right cadence and the right accent and, and all that. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Like, so we could, David, put out this podcast on YouTube and have it translated into a hundred different languages. And anyone in the world could watch it in their native language, and it would look like we had spoken in that language originally. It's going to open up. Shot. It's going to open up whole new markets for services, and and just imagine when it'll be real time or just slightly delayed. That's when we get to the Star Trek translator type of technology, where you can speak a foreign language and another person can speak a language that you don't know, and you can understand each other. Like that's going to well, come. Just destroyed online Spanish or online language classes for college credit. <laughs> if you want, if you need to get your 150 hours, you take some online classes and it'll just, because <laughs> that's the way those classes work. You're supposed to, you record and then you upload and you could basically just record a, a fake view. Romeo says bilingual here. Spanish is spot on, but the accent is Central American Spanish. Interesting. So I wonder, you know, like, like geographical linguistic differences, uh, the, the accents, I wonder how good it will get eventually. Will it be able to, you know, could, could, could I have my own voice translated into a, you know, Appalachian dialect perhaps, or a Southern or Northeastern, depending on, you know, a Boston accent, even within languages. This, this it, could make actors uh, less valuable, right? Well, voiceover actors, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's already starting to happen with the deepfake voice technology. You used to have to hire, I mean, you still do, right? It's not the best, but um, there's projects now where, hey, I don't need to hire a professional voice actor anymore. I can just use the deepfake version and it's good enough. And you see that on social media all the time, right? It's just a matter of time until it starts coming to commercials or to podcasts even. So, so Blake, would you say you are a bridge millennial or millennial? Well, I'm an elder millennial. I am. You're not Gen X. No, no, because I was born in the 80s. So I guess you're a bridge millennial. Do you feel yeah. comfortable speaking for bridge millennials and millennials? Well, feel... depends. <laughs> depends on the story. 
I don't think anybody's really capable of speaking for their entire generation, but hey, I'll I'll try. Why not? So I found a sur- uh, story. The title said, Americans would pay $120 a year to have a reliable smart voice assistant. And I think I've said this on the show. I'm like, I'd pay $200 to have some assistant chat GPT thing helping me do things around the house, et cetera. Well, they're really talking a little bit more like Alexa's, Google's, series, that type of thing. And I'm going to bring up a chart here. Hopefully you can see this. Do I need to zoom in? Zoom in maybe a little more. I can see it. And the question is this, when will voice technology be as good as speaking to a human? And I don't understand, but 10% of millennials think it's already as smart and reliable as real people. The, so uh, I question you millennials, like who, who are the humans you interact with? Well, I'll tell you, there's some, there's some humans that you interact with and you do question whether or not a voice assistant would be better. Uh, so so I mean, the chart is showing basically that, that millennials are the most bullish about this. That we think that's that, a good way to say it. Yes, they're, right, they're the most bullish on voice assistants, and I am. I really am. I I think that you know once Apple catches up, which they always do, they're going to do it better than anyone eventually. A few, they're always a few years behind. They're never the leader, but they always capture the market, or the at least the they capture the the profit. And they're going to have Siri with AI, generative AI, and it's going to be able to do freaking incredible things. You know, hey Siri. Can you reschedule? Oh, well, no, I just activated her. Can you can you reschedule my podcast recording session with David because I can't do it? You know, let's find another time, and the agent will be able to go out and do that. I really think that's coming. Like we're talking a couple of years, maybe. That's what I was going to say. Are you saying it's two years, three to five years, more than five years? I mean, I guess it just depends on how quickly Apple can build its own LLM. I mean, if they're they should be doing this full throttle, right? So I'd say it like in five years, within five years is my feeling. We're going to, you're going to be able to, you know, give, I mean, Siri already has access to like all your stuff, right? Your emails, your calendar, yeah. it can make phone calls as you, um, or on your behalf. So it could go out and make appointments. It could go out and call clients, um, could go out and, and request documents and information. Uh, I think it'll probably be all on the personal side at first, because that's where Apple, you know, thrives, right? So I think like booking reservations, and doctor's appointments and coordinating your personal life. Yeah. I mean, there's so, a lot of that stuff that's not super high value, but takes a lot of time. So, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's going to take longer, like more than five years, only because if you really look at Siri and Alexa and Google Home, they haven't done anything in a decade. <laughs> they work as crappy as they always have been. Mm-hmm. People, people just use them to set timers. Even Amazon's pulled back on some of their Alexa stuff. Yeah, because they realize people just aren't you. App developers made all these apps; nobody uses it. The reason is that you have to be so precise with your voice command, and yeah. nobody remembers the exact syntax. So you do it, and then it doesn't understand. You end up having to do it like two or three times. And it's so frustrating that eventually you give up, and you just get the remote, and you make your you know curtains go up on their own, <laughs> right? Or you change the lights on your own. But like <laughs> that, that's, that's a problem. That is a problem you that generated it that way. I got it right. You got the remote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Instead of getting up and actually doing it, you just grabbed your remote instead of using your voice. To yeah, even my son, he's like, he's like, Alexa is so stupid, you know? And I say, <laughs> Thomas, be very polite to Alexa because you never know when she might become sentient, okay? Well, 
that's actually great because in the survey, Gen Z actually had the lowest percentage of people that said it's smart as real people. Yeah. So Gen Z recognizes that this technology is not that smart. Well, you know, it's because millennials grew up without any of this stuff. So we are constantly blown away and amazed by it. You know, we had nothing. Most of us didn't get a computer until we were teenagers, right? Or in college. And um, so like for us, it's like the smartphone is the most miraculous thing in the world, but these Gen Zers grew up with it. So they're not impressed by voice assistants. That's my theory. Oh, that's true. It's harder to impress them. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Arrow. By giving you the tools you need to take your firm's knowledge capital, your processes, and your procedures integrated together into tasks, Arrow will make your firm more efficient, scalable, profitable, and give you the peace of mind that client work won't slip through the cracks. Arrow lets you define, organize, track, and advise. You can define your services with over 160 ready-to-go bookkeeping and accounting checklists that can be turned into client tasks at a click of a button. You can easily organize tasks team resources, and client data like usernames, passwords, documents, and tax ID numbers. With automatic time tracking built into every task, Arrow gives you instant insights into the status of all open work in the firm, and your staff never has to remember to start or stop any timers. Arrow even has what you need to systemize your advisory services, including a framework to create an advisory-based recurring revenue stream for your firm. Arrow has direct integrations with Office 365, QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Time, and thousands of other apps via their Zapier integration. And if that isn't enough, you can even create your own integration using Arrow's open API. Arrow also provides a free training and certification plan to you and your staff, including unlimited free one-on-one -on -one support sessions. Arrow is currently offering all new accounts, white glove onboarding that usually costs $2,000 for free. To take advantage of this offer before the end of 2023, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash Arrow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-E-R-O. Hey, can we talk about a story that is um, inspiring and frightening? Meet a 29-year-old accountant whose resentment only climbed after her firm raised her salary from 60K to 90K as she made millions for them. She has her own firm now. This originally appeared in Fortune and was syndicated to Yahoo Finance. And the woman on the screen is not the woman in the article. That's just an ad for QuickBooks that somehow made it onto this um, screen that I'm sharing right here. Oh, okay. Because I was like, interesting, because I had the same article and that's not the same lady. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. So this is a feature on Stephanie Heredia, who is 29 and started an accountant job at a small Tampa, Florida firm with the promise that her 60000 base salary would rise to 100000 after one year. But at the last minute, she told Fortune, the timeline became two years. Her eventual salary, 90000 plus commissions. As the firm grew from four people to 25, Heredia's responsibilities ballooned. She was charged with opening a new unit in Puerto Rico, which went on to generate an additional $2 million annually for the firm, but asking for a raise felt like talking to a brick wall, Heredia said. She said uh, she had sales of over 300 k annually, but was only making 90 k while doing all the work of the clients I brought in and the other work at the firm. I sadly have way too many spreadsheets comparing the money I was bringing in versus bringing home. So this is one of the challenges, I think, of employing accountants who can actually do the calculations on the gross margin, right? What you're charging uh, yeah. versus uh, what what they're, you're paying them. Yeah. And she, uh, she quit and she started her own firm. 
It's called Taxes Tampa, and she insists that she has never felt better. <laughs> when I saw this headline, I, I immediately was like, oh, yeah, we talked about this last week. Remember the ADP study? Well, then I start reading this article, and like, this is the ADP PR department pushing this story. <laughs> talks about their study again. Ah. I thought it was. I thought it was like a, coincidentally a story that really related to the, uh, the observation, but it's the ADP's got two weeks of PR man uh, work going on. So congratulations. So, and I wonder. It's hard to know without knowing all the details. But could the firm have saved this? Could they have given Stephanie a stake, an equity slice, a profit share, something that would have made her want to stay? When you give an employee such management responsibility like opening a new office, if you don't give them points, why would they stay? You've taught them how to open an office and now they can just go open their own. That's the problem, right? And I think that's kind of the bigger picture problem with the partner model is that you get these managers who learn how to do it and then you deny them the the share in the business, you know, and then they go off and they leave and they start their own firm if you don't bring them in. So I'm not saying... That's always the solution. Maybe this would have happened anyway, but I think it's a good sort of case study of like an example where the firm lost out because they they couldn't figure out how to um, take somebody who seems like an all star and give them what they wanted, which is the opportunity you know to uncap their income. I, I mean, I was kind of in the same boat as Stephanie here, where when I was at the big firm, where you know, I was a manager and I was responsible for managing all these clients and doing all this work. And I was bringing in tons of revenue for the firm, but I didn't get a stake. And I would have to sit around for five to 10 years, probably 10 years or longer at that point to become a partner. But this ties into why you should learn accounting. And we've talked about this before. Accounting gives you options. So many if this options. this is a different profession, she may not have been able to just drop it, start her own firm and make, his, and make more money. But accounting gives you freedom that you don't really get in other professions. I love that, David. Do you want to talk? I have some app news, but it's, none of it's important enough to talk about. It's like, I don't know. But I do have an article I saw about the different, um, obviously you could outsource, you could offshore your work or you could use AI to do it. And this article, we could uh, share the screen and bring it up. I got, he has about 12 reasons to automate instead of doing offshore. And, and you when want to you kind say, of go through those? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. Let's talk offshoring versus automating. So this is hiring staff outside the U.S. versus automating with technology. So who, so who wrote this? This was written by uh, Andrew Antost. He is the CEO of a company uh, called Clarity with a K, K-L-A-R-I-T-Y. Um, it's, I think it's software for um, like audit work and things like this, but it's for automating accounting procedures um, internally. So he has a vested interest in this. But I think it's probably nice to go, oh, I probably made this too small, big. So he has about, what is this, eight things? And let's just go through them. So one is increased efficiency. So this is automating versus offshoring. So offshoring. He's, he's in favor of automating? Automating. Okay, right. increased efficiency. Why? Why it's, is it more efficient it, to automate versus offshore? It's faster than humans, right? It's you know, turnaround time seconds instead of hours and days. Okay. So so it's just a increased efficiency. Depends on the task, but yeah, okay, yeah. I buy that. Reduced errors and increased consistency. So Gen AI systems are more accurate and consistent than humans. Uh, I don't know if that's depends. necessarily depends. fully true. Yes, it depends on the work you're asking it to do, for sure, yep. uh, for the consistency. Um, 
24-7 operations, which this makes a lot of sense. Right? That's right. There's no breaks, you know? This is like- it's, They don't Gen, complain. Gen AI is the perfect accounting firm should be all over this, the big four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, 24-7, cost savings. So even though the labor costs are cheaper, you can almost eliminate them entirely by switching to AI. thought that was interesting. Yep, yep. Scalability, so you can quickly ramp up and ramp down, which is a lot harder to do with humans, right? Um, security and compliance, which is interesting. Like you, you could have your system locked down and designed, right. but- it's a lot harder, and I've heard you know people. I've heard you know a lot of the offshoring where they they have badges and these they have white rooms and they can't you know take their computers home at night and there's all oh, yeah these yeah that's the I think that's a huge that risk huge risk with offshoring is is how do you secure the client data that's for your customers in the U.S. when it's you know offshore could be could be at risk. I mean, but I guess the argument is that it's the same here too. Uh, improved analytics, which I don't think is like that big of an argument. And then key in-house experts. So basically hire people in-house mm-hmm. in your own time zone versus hiring people on the other side of the world to work as your processors. Mm. I, I think, because I, I kind of thought about this because I do feel like I want to get an assistant. And I get those, hey, hire an assistant in the Philippines for $6 a day, right? Or river it is. Six, and yeah. I look at that and I'm like, some I see it and I'm like, I just know that this is going to be a headache to onboard, a headache to set up, a headache to build the relationship. And then I might have to do it again with three or four of different people till I find the right fit. And I'm like, if I could just take that energy and invest it into an AI chat bot to be my assistant instead for $120, $200 a year, I'd much rather go down that path. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that's what caught my eye. And I was like, this is an interesting argument to make that maybe maybe this is better to do than outsource or yeah. offshore. I, I- I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer in generative AI, and I'm using it all day, every day. I mean, not all day, but I use it every day for different tasks. But you know, it still can't complete the task 100%. It might be able to get like 80% there, 90% there with guidance, but it still needs a human to edit. You know, if if you're creating marketing copy or you're creating social media posts with it, or you're brainstorming articles with it, which is that's what I tend to use a lot of it for. It, it gets you most of the way there, but not all the way there. And that last bit is the part that's the hardest, which is the editing, you know, the critical eye. And I think it's the same way with accounting tasks is you still have to have somebody looking at this, you know, automated coding with a critical eye and correcting the AI so it doesn't keep making the same stupid mistakes over and over again. But, you know, Isn't I that am, the frustration a lot of accounting firms have with their Offshore staff, yeah. Staff. And, and and so I think like the, the best combination is you have really smart people here in the US and you empower them with AI tools and you say, I don't care how many hours you work. I just care that you get the job done. Let's use AI to automate this as much as possible and you validate the work. You oversee the bots. And that's where we need to get as a profession. But if we don't get out of the hourly mindset, we can never get there because yeah. people are always trying to stay busy. And that's going to be the biggest barrier to AI adoption in most firms is that the same as cloud-based bookkeeping, you know, where bookkeepers didn't want to use automation because it would reduce their hours. Accountants aren't going to want to use AI if it cuts their hours because you're just going to give them more clients. Two billion by the hour, yeah. Right? Oh, I, I cut my time by 80%. Now I've got, you know, now you're going to give me 80% more clients. That sounds like a nightmare. No, thank well, you. Well, can't you give instructions to like, the AI that says like, 
when you're doing this, do it at half speed. Only use a partial of your processing power. On a related note, um, I signed an engagement letter with an attorney, a new attorney, to do an incorporation. And there was the funniest bit in the engagement letter about hourly billing, because this attorney, like practically all of them, bills by the hour. And there was actually a clause in the engagement letter that said, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know exactly what it said, but it basically said that we're going to bill you by the hour, but the hours that we bill you may not line up with the actual hours that we worked. Because we will adjust the hours that we worked to reflect the value that, you know, has been created. <laughs> Basically, like, right? Like, this goes back to the whole hourly billing model is unethical. <laughs> HK Geek says, Dear AI, please process at the rate of my children cleaning their bedrooms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ask the AI to slow down. Uh, yeah. Can you take an hour to complete this task? Because I need to catch up on my Netflix. Or we have yeah. to bill for this much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like normally this task would take me an hour. So I need you to slow this down. Um, and that's going to be the death of the hourly billing model. I really do believe that AI is going to end the timesheet. That's my hope. That's my dream. I might be biased because I dislike timesheets personally so much, but I think it would be. Romeo says, that's value pricing for lawyers. Basically. So it's like, I, then I was thinking as I read this engagement letter, why even price hourly if you're going to just tell your client that you're going to just make up the numbers based on what you did? So, you know, here I am, I'm asked to sign an engagement letter and I'm being charged hourly, but they could, they basically have given themselves permission just to make up the hours. And, and I, my understanding is that it's state to state, right? Like some states, they can't do value billing or so they can't do fixed fee pricing. They have to bill hourly. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, David, I always have so many more stories to talk about with you. I could go on for another hour especially all this stuff with remote work, like Michael Bloomberg complaining that remote workers are just playing golf every day. <laughs> oh, man. I want to talk about that, but we'll have to save it. We'll save it for another episode. He and um, the CEO of Chase, uh, what's his name? Diamond? Diamond. They're so anti-remote work. And I was wondering, like, why are they so anti-remote work? And then somebody reminded me that these guys own a lot of commercial real estate and I bet their portfolios are suffering because the office occupancy is so low and interest rates are so high and they're not going to be able to refi the loans on these big office That's towers. They want people back in and they need people to come back in to pay the rents. I wonder if there's, I wonder if it's a little self-serving. Maybe, maybe next week will be the week we work finally goes under and we'll have to talk about commercial real estate. Yeah. All right. That might be the week. Yeah, commercial real estate next week. Thanks everyone for joining us. Reminder, if you listened all the way through this, you deserve some continuing education credit for it and you can earn that for free with the Earmark app. Go to earmarkcpe.com, download the app for your Apple or Android phone, find the accounting podcast channel, and register for this course and take a quick quiz and get your continuing professional education. We are NASBA. We are a NASBA sponsor of CPE. 
So you can get CP for listening every single week and get your requirement done. Uh, works abroad as well. If you have a CE or a CPD requirement in the UK or Australia or New Zealand, most of the local licensing bodies accept NASBA credits, and you can use our certificates for your renewals. It works for the IRS. Uh, our federal tax classes and our ethics classes are approved uh, for IRS CE, and we will report those if you put your PTIN in your profile. And if you have friends that don't listen to podcasts, you could just tell them to go get Earmark so they get CPE, and they can play our podcast in our, the Earmark app, and they don't even know they're listening to a podcast. They yep. just think they're taking a course. So you could trick your friends that are like, I don't do podcasts to listen to our show. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. I am at Blake T. Oliver. David, you are? I'm Mr. David Leary on all the socials. At David Leary. And you can email us. Send us your emails, your voicemails. We are the accounting podcast at earmark.me. Have a great weekend, everybody. Time for the classifieds. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out, but soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again, you're in the trained, correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks-savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. Most firm owners are busier than they want to be because they feel like they have to work long hours to keep their firms running. But according to CPA Ryan Lozanis, that's not necessary. Ryan built a multi-seven-figure firm that didn't require him to work nights or weekends, and just five years after starting his firm, Ryan sold it to a major international organization for a hefty profit. His secret is a special six-part system, and right now he's teaching 700-plus busy firm owners to implement this system in their own firms, so they can scale revenue and spend more time with family and friends. To learn more about Ryan's special six-part system that lets firm owners grow their revenue and their free time, go to futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. That's futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.